Good morning, Cross Point. Good morning. You guys doing well this morning? Yes? Yes? Okay, very good. Very good. So kids, you can be released. And for the rest of us, we are going to be picking up in 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your scripture journal, that's going to be on page 16, the bottom uh, left-hand side of the page. You'll see that we're going to be picking up in verse 7. But before we get into that, I want to kind of remind you of something I said way back when we began this series and kind of describing the book of 1 John is kind of different than the other books that we find in the New Testament, that many of those books are written by the Apostle Paul, and they tend to be more linear. They're kind of like Lego blocks as you read through it, like one connects to the next, which connects to the next one, as if built by this architect that in the end is showing us this beautiful truth that is then displayed. And it's kind of, we can walk through it and understand it. It's as if it was designed like in an engineer kind of mindset. First John is different. First John is more circular. It it kind of has these main themes. Think of it as like a a poetic painting of a flower. And you're like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Right? That's kind of first John. It's, It's much more artistic. It circles back around on itself, on ideas as you read it. It's, it's wanting to paint a picture in your mind with these key themes, and it tends to be much more artistic, much more of a sermon than just this letter of explanation. And that can be incredibly beautiful. It can also be confusing at times, particularly as we look at today's passage that is around a really simple idea, let us love one another how we're going to see verse 7 start. That's the idea. Let us love one another. But then it's going to paint this picture in our mind. So as, we, as I get ready to read the text, I want to encourage you to think through, even as I read it, if you're comfortable, to close your eyes. Listen to the, the themes, the repeated words. Let it paint a picture on the canvas of your mind to see the beauty of what it means of how we love one another. So if you will, stand with me. I want to pray for us, and then I'll read the text this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I I thank you that we can gather together as a church family under the authority of your word. And, And Lord, just knowing how I've wrestled with this text that I'm about to read, and yet knowing that the power is in your word, not my own, the power of transformation. Your word, Lord, that we read is true, absolutely. But Lord, we can't just understand it with our own hearts and our own minds. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you give us understanding Would you humble our hearts and help us discern what your word is saying? Would you apply it to our lives, allow it to read us, transform us? Lord, as we look to you, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world and whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out Fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. You can be seated. I would be curious to hear how you heard that. Because I can tell you how I heard it as I started my week in this passage. It felt a little bit like a tangled ball of yarn knotted together. It was obviously all connected. It was obviously a single thought, but it seemed to go back and forth in different parts. And so I was like, to make sense of it, I wrote it out in my board as I normally do. And this is what it looks like. I have a six foot whiteboard in my office. So if you were to zoom in on this, this is my entire sermon this morning. My thought though, was that if I preached it like that, you might be a little confused. But this is like, I'm like, they're circled words that, that are repeated, themes, phrases that circle around and around again, trying to make sense of it all. To help organize these thoughts, I turned it into more of a spiral. Because as I've said before, I, I see in pictures, how do I make sense out of all this? What is all of this saying? And how can I easily understand and then stand up here and preach it in a way that hopefully will be helpful for us this morning? And, and I did a spiral because there's this sense of where the passage starts is the outcome of that spiral, what is flowing out of it. Let us love one another. This is the call. This is the command before us. Let us love one another. This is written for the church. Like, this isn't just the church, go love the world. The, the Bible talks about that, but that's not what it's saying here. 
When it's saying, let us love one another, it's talking about the church, brothers and sisters in Christ loving one another. This is talking about how we treat one another, how we relate to one another in the church. That's the context that it's getting at. But what we see over and over is that it's taking us back then to the beginning, the inward part of that spiral and then what flows out. And I think what's happening in this passage is we see this love one another and then it goes back to the source. Love is from God. Love one another. Look at what God has done. Then back to love one another. And so I want us to begin at the heart of this. God. I want to kind of organize this in themes, in all the different statements that's made over and again. Think of these different brush strokes that compile to make this beautiful painting. Looking at some of these individual paint strokes. That it's God who is the source. And it says this right in verse 7 love is from God. Think about this for a moment. The love that we're to show one another does not originate from us. The love that we're called to show one another originates with God. I think of Kelly Springs. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, any of the springs. They're probably mostly all the same. We typically go to Kelly Springs, and you get in the raft, and you float down the spring, right? But then you can go to the source of the spring, where it's like bubbling up from underground, and you can see where the water is originating from. We freely swim in it, but it's originating from underground. This is what comes to mind when I think love is from God. It bubbles up from within, not originating with us. It originates with God, who he is and what he's done. And then it even goes and makes it clear in verse eight, not only does love originate with God, but it says God is love. Now think about this statement. It's not just that God shows us love. God is loving as a characteristic. It's not just saying that that, that he demonstrates it very well. But it's saying he is in the very nature, essence, character. He is the definition of love. Like the very definition. Think of what this means even culturally, where we hear all the time, well, love is love. Whatever that means. However you want to receive love, however you want to give love, love is self-defining and however you want it to be received or given, love is love. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says God is love. He is the source and he is the very definition of what love is. We cannot understand how we are called to love one another until we first understand who God is and how he has loved us. It's impossible. How we're called to love one another is in the very definition of who God is. But here's the thing. He gave us this living definition. Look at what it says in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was displayed. It was physically made known, this God who is love, love being from him, displayed his love in that he sent his only son into the world. Now think about this. God, who created you and I in his image, right, to reflect his glory, his love to one another, 
so that his love would not only be known, but it would be experienced, that we would know his love in fullness, in perfection. And then that humanity turns around and it's as if they give God the middle finger and say, no thanks. We got this on our own. We don't need you. No thanks. And rebel against God and do it on their own. And how does God, who is love, respond? He pursues. The God who spoke and said, let there be light in the moment of creation, cried the cry of a newborn infant. The eternal, all-powerful God, clothed in frail humanity. The eternal King, eternal King of heaven in all eternity, spitten on, beaten, crucified by those he created to know the depths of his love, rejected, he pursued. This is God's definition in how his love was demonstrated for us at great, great cost to himself. And not just that he was sent into the world, but it even goes further to say in verse 10, why did he demonstrate it? What was he demonstrating about his character? He loved us, it says in verse 10, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Don't let that word scare you. Think of two words, love and justice. These two realities of who God is, just this week in my personal devotions, I was reading in Exodus 34, and it's when God met Moses on Mount Sinai, and he describes himself, and I, I'm highlighting this because I was like, this is how God, not how somebody else is describing him, but how God himself is describing himself to Moses. And this is what he says, that he's the Lord, that he's merciful. Think of the definition of love. If God is love, how God himself describes himself, that he is merciful, meaning he does not give you what you deserve. When we deserve punishment, he gives mercy. He is gracious, meaning he gives you more, blesses you more than what you deserve or have earned. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding in faithfulness. He's forgiving. But not only is God loving, it also says he's just. And God says of himself, but who will by no means clear the guilty? He will visit the iniquity, the sins of the fathers on their children and their children's children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is loving, but he will not be unjust. And it's here on the cross that the love of Christ is displayed in the love of God and the justice of God. That when Jesus hung on the cross, he bore the just punishment of our sin, the justice that our sin deserved poured out on Christ in keeping with the character and nature of God, so that in Christ he may offer the free gift of forgiveness and mercy and life. The love and justice of Christ displayed. This is how God manifested his love, the completeness of his character in the person of Christ. And here's the amazing thing. God first loved us. Look, look, look at verses 10 and 19. In this 
is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Verse 19, he first loved us. It's not like we rejected God and he's like, fine then, go your own way. And then we're like, actually, we're sorry. Like, we actually need your help. And he's like, okay, now I'll come and die for you. No. While we were still enemies, before we ever turned to God, before we ever desired Him, before we ever claimed to love Him, before any of that, God pursued us. That is the the love of God moving toward us. God changes something in us. Before you ever desired him before you ever said you loved him or had faith in him or anything. God pursued you with his love. And this changes something in us. Right? Like this does something in us. This is what we see in this passage that coming from who God is, now we're changed because we're recipients of this love received this kind of love that is so extravagant, so overwhelming, so self-sacrificial that we're changed. God's love demonstrated to us. Verse 14, it says how we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent. Like this is something then we see, like we begin to taste the sweetness like honey on our tongue. Like look at the sweetness of God's love who loved me. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't earn it. And yet he pursued me to the point of Christ dying on the cross for my sins when I didn't even ask. And yet he chose to demonstrate his love for us in this way. And we taste of that. And it says we, we testify to it. We say, I can testify. I can give an account that what God says is true. And then as it says in verses 15 and 16, confess that Jesus is the Son of God. It literally means to speak in agreement. Like God said that he sent his Son into the world to demonstrate his love. And we're confessing, saying, yes, God sent Jesus into the world to die for my sins, and I have received the sweetness of that love, and I'm changed by it, and I can testify to it, and I can confess to it because I'm speaking in agreement with what God has declared. And so as it says later in 15 and 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This is what God's love does in us that we know and believe. We know. We experience it. We don't just know it intellectually. Belief is trust. Knowledge is experience. And so what happens is we experience a taste of God's love. And it deepens our belief and trust in God. And that deepened belief causes us to taste more deeply and sweetly the love of God and its experience, which causes us in turn to believe more deeply and trust in Him, which then in turn causes us to experience His love. Do you see what I'm saying? It keeps growing as we experience and know, testifying. And we abide. This is what then it means to abide. 1 John 4.16, towards the end, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Here's the amazing thing. 
There's something here, and I think part of it we typically see and another part we don't. Imagine, again, like it's these word pictures that just get in my head. Imagine you're standing and your toes can turn into roots, okay? And that's how you eat. That's your nourishment. Where would you stand? Would you go stand in a man-made, sun-baked parking lot of asphalt to eat? No. That would be crazy. You're going to find the richest soil with nutrients and, and water to come in, to drink from. It's the same thing spiritually. Where do we abide? Where do we allow our roots to sink deep? Do we look in man-made containers to, to drink from and to find love and hope and acceptance? Or do we abide in God who is the definition of love? But here's the amazing thing that I think sometimes we don't recognize. So we've talked about this often before, what it means to abide, but it also said God abides in us. Like, right? Like, this kind of hit me. Like, okay, I think about what I need to, but God abides in me? That's crazy. The eternal God, indwelling, abiding in us. And it's through him then that we are called to love one another. As we rest and experience and know and believe his love. And then it says something that I think is like the, the hinge, the connecting point for all of this. How do we understand the love of God? And then how do we understand what it means then to let us love one another? And it says this in verse 12 and 17. And th there was one other place that I forgot to write down. 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us. We've talked about that. And his love is perfected in us. Now it adds this other thing in 1 John 4, 17. Love is perfected with us. Does that strike anyone as strange a little bit? What does that mean? God's love is perfected with us. Does that mean something is lacking in God's love? Like there, there's something insufficient? That God's love is okay, but once I get my hands on it, now I'm going to make it perfect. What does it mean that God's love is perfected in us? God's love is perfected with us. What is lacking? Is something lacking? I think about it like this. Imagine... I write you a check for $10,000. I sign it, I date it, I endorse it, it's legit. It's a real check. And let's assume I actually have that money in my account, that you can cash that check. We're working on faith here, okay? Like, that's it. Now, it's a real check. You don't have to add anything to that to make it more valuable. There's no value taking away from it. The only thing that is lacking is me to give you that check. Now, let's say I give the check to Carlos and I say, hey, can you give this to everybody? That is the definition of what it means to be brought to completion. He's not adding anything to the value of the check. He's not contributing anything to it. It's not like anything was lacking 
in the gift itself. He is simply delivering, bringing to completion that which has already been done. Are you tracking with me? This is what it means then to love one another. God is the definition of love. He has fully accomplished and manifested and displayed his love. Now there is to love one another in delivering that love each other. And here's the amazing thing. So I'm like, so who's, in, in whose life is this perfected? Is this in the other person? Is this in the one giving it? And the more I looked at it, I think it's in both. So here's the amazing thing. As we love one another, you as the recipient of someone else's love here is going to experience more deeply and fully the reality of God's love that is in itself perfect. But you're going to experience that more fully where that love is being perfected in you. But there's also the sense of that love is being perfected in us as we love the other person. Like as we're demonstrating his love that we experience in our own life and we demonstrate that to others, his love is being accomplished and perfected in us as well. This is what it's getting into of who God is as the definition of love, what that is changing in us, and then how we are called then to love one another. God in us, loving others. This brings us then full circle, right, to to what it means. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Are you seeing this in that spiral? This, this image of, of where it comes from, what it's moving toward, what's the source, what's happening in us, and then how that is being demonstrated to others. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Like this is for the church. This is what's being said to us. If God so loved us, If this is true, because God says it's true, and this is the love we have received, then let us love one another with the same love. How can we not, if we stand here and proclaim the love of Christ? This is the if-then sense that we read throughout the passage. If we have received love from God, then how can we but to display that love to others? It's a natural progression. But if we don't love our brother, then how can we say we've been loved and we love God? You can't. It's showing the impossibility of it. And so I want us to think, what does this mean? Like how how then do we apply that here? What does it look like? Okay, so we understand God is the definition of love, that this has changed us and we're called to love one another. How? (laughs) What does that look like? How then do we think through that? Lest we all just go home and define love by our own standard and say, well, I'm loving them based on how I'm comfortable loving them. But if God is truly the definition, there's some things we need to consider. I think the first is this. A manufactured love versus a supernatural love. Like, I want us to think very practically to the others in this room. 
This is what the text is written to a church. We are a church called then to love one another. How are we seeking to love one another? There's one sense where that can just be a manufactured love, like I'm going to try really hard. I don't like that person, but I'm going to smile, right? Is that it? No. It's not just this sense of trying harder or defining for yourself what it means to love others here at Crosspoint. It's a supernatural love that we're called to love one another with. The love that we have received. Now here's the thing, what does that mean? This is where it gets hard. Because there's a self-serving love and there's a self-sacrificial love. Like, think about this for a moment. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you mentally ask yourself, when you think about what it means, love one another in the church, how many of your minds initially went, do I feel loved here? Like, do I really experience? There's a longing for us to feel accepted and cared for, but so often our minds start with, do I feel loved? Or does our mind start with, am I loving others? Because there is the way that God demonstrated his love that we see in Scripture is that God made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world, that God sent Jesus to die for our sins, to pay the punishment for our sins. There was a self-sacrifice to God's love toward us. It wasn't like, hey, love me first and then I'll love you. God's love was demonstrated before it was ever received. What we are being called to is difficult. It is not easy. It is costly. We are called to love one another regardless of how you feel loved by the others. That is how God demonstrated his love, and that is the kind of love we are being called to. It's not just what can I get from these people. It's what can I give. And it's a costly love. Like for Christ, for God, it it cost him his only son, Jesus Christ. And not just to come to the world, but to be beaten and crucified by his very creation. It was costly. I think of how love is described in 1 Corinthians 13. The kind of love we are called then to display to one another a love towards one another that is patient with one another. Some are going to be at different places. Some will be easier to love. Some will be harder. It's a love that's kind. It's a love that that isn't competitive with one another. It's not trying to one-up the next person and, hey, look at me. It's not a love that puts our preference above others and like, I want it this way and I want to do it this way and I don't really care what it means for you. It means that we're laying down our preferences. It means that we're laying down what I want other person. It's a love that isn't easily agitated with someone, doesn't hold grudges against people. 
God's love, it rejoices in the truth even when sometimes that hurts. And yet it rejoices. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It's hard. Now, I want to say here, like, I don't feel like this is a as a pastor here, I see God doing this in our congregation. I'm preaching this because this is where God has us in the text. And I see this as something that God is growing in our context. And I want us to understand what and how this is growing because I think we need to continue to grow in it. I think there are expressions of love that are still desired that are still needed, that God wants to grow us in. And I'm thankful that he has us in this passage to understand what needs to happen and how that is expressed. Because I also see in God's love that it was an active love, not a passive love. That God moved toward us first. I think sometimes what can happen, and the thought that comes to my mind in the moment is, when Curse and I have an argument, you know, and then we're kind of in that silent phase of the argument, and it's like, who's going to speak first? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, who's going to be the one to take that first step towards reconciliation? Because I was right, obviously, right? And so they need to make the first move because they were wrong. Are you with me? An active love moves first. That was God. He loved us before we loved him. He moved first. And sometimes in church where there can be hurts and pains, it can be like, well, I'm not going to love them until I feel like I'm being loved, and then I'll love them. A biblical love is an active love that moves first, that takes the first step. That's on all of us. To what does that mean? What does that look like? And so I think back to God's description of himself, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that consistent love, uphill, downhill, marathon of love, and yet maintaining a steadfast pace of love, abounding in faithfulness, sticking with people through thick or thin, ups and downs, weathering the storms, the hard times, the joyful times, and yet love enduring toward one another, forgiving one another, meaning wrongs have been done against you, and yet forgiving because you have received forgiveness. And there's this application and conclusion. Do you want to love like God has loved you? Like it can be easy to just say, yes, of course, I'm a Christian, but like let that question just slowly rest on your heart. Do you want to love like God has loved you? There's parts of me that say yes. And there's parts of me that's like, that's hard. And I think that's what this passage is helping us get to. 
Because if we answer that, we're like, no. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Then verse 20 hits us like a ton of bricks. That if anyone says, I love God, but then hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How in the world can he love God who he has not seen? Like, there is this instance of saying, if we love God, then we are called and will desire to love one another. Now, that does not mean it's easy, right? And so I kind of want to just end with these three points. So now what? (laughs) Now what? Like, if if I'm, I want to love people, like, I want to love each other, but there's personality difference. There's preference differences. Like, that can be a challenge at times. So how in the world do we grow in love? Does that mean just go and try harder? No, because if love is supernatural and can't just be conjured up from striving, how can we conjure up something that isn't even originating with us? So how do we grow in love for one another? One, I think it's a growing understanding of God's love. And I think this is something in our minds something we need to meditate on and, and to, to understand in our minds. How has God loved and demonstrated his love for me? Like that's something we need to grow in. Like, Lord, help me understand how you loved me because I'll never understand how to love one another if I don't understand how you love me. Because what am I demonstrating then? But it needs to also, the second thing is it needs to be more than just this understanding mentally. It needs to be something we experience in our hearts, right? It needs to be something that, that, that we experience God's love, that yes, we confess as true. But as we abide in this truth, as we root our lives in this love, that we would come to experience it, that we would come to know it, to taste its sweetness, the reality of it in our lives, because only then, as God's love is not just understood intellectually, but as it is experienced spiritually, emotionally, can it then be expressed to one another. To display to others the facets of God's love that you are experiencing. So here's just the simple bringing it all the way down to this week. To what I want you to consider, what is one step you can take toward loving one another? How are you experiencing God's love presently? Here's what I mean. Some, some ideas to think through. Are you experiencing God's love through his presence. Like just his presence in a difficult circumstance, in a difficult trial, and yet you know his comforting presence. If that's how you're presently experiencing God's love, then I would ask you this question, how then discern how you can demonstrate God's love through your presence with someone else who may be going through a trial? Do you see the connection? What I mean there, you can only demonstrate what you yourself are experiencing from God's love. Uh, Are you experiencing God's love through his provision? 
in a time of need, you've experienced God's provision. When you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make bills, how I'm going to make ends meet. The, the, the bills are piling up, and yet you've experienced God's love and faithfulness in your life through his provision. Then discern someone else who is in need and allow God's generous love towards you to be expressed through generosity to others in their time of need. What you have received, then explore how you can demonstrate. Are you experiencing God's love through comfort, through healing, through protection, through peace? How are you experiencing God's love? And then look up from yourself and discern how you can be an expression of that love to one another. This is the joy that we're called into. This is what completes in us and in others the expression of God's perfect love. You can only display that which you have received from God. This is what I want us to be mindful of this week. To love one another comes from God. You can only display that which you have received from God. And so ask yourself, how have you experienced, how are you experiencing God's love presently? And how can you be an expression of that same love to others? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the beauty to know that you loved us first. Lord, that your love was so sacrificial, so profound. Lord, help us to, to know, help us to experience, to understand the height and depth and width and length of your love, Lord. Help us to, to know it more deeply in our own lives and then help us then to express and demonstrate that love to others, to not just hold it in, Lord, but to love one another with the same love that we have received. Lord, I pray that, that as each one here, I pray, would, would consider this week how they are presently experiencing your love. Lord, and I pray that you would give creativity, that you would give uh, enjoyment and excitement to then discern how they can in turn express that same love to one another. Lord, would you do this miraculous work in us? And in Jesus' name, amen.